Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Eniash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 77, Self-Actualization, Aftermaths, Surface Appearances. Aftermath, Professor Quarrel and... In a shadowy clearing, the defense professor waited. His back leaned negligently against the rough gray bark of a towering beech tree as yet unleaved in the late March days, so that its trunk and crown seemed like a pale arm reaching up from the ground and exploding into a hand of a thousand fingers. Around the defense professor and above him were branches so dense that even in the earliest spring, with few trees so much as budding, you could have hardly seen the sky from the ground. The strands of the wooden net crossed and proliferated so many times that if you were on a broomstick above, searching for someone below, you would have found it easier to follow your ears than your eyes. Nor would it have helped that it was almost dark amid the prohibited woods, the unseen sun almost set so that only a few glows of fading sunlight illuminated the tops of the tallest trees. Then came the faintest sound of footsteps, almost inaudible even on the forest ground the gait of a man accustomed to passing unseen. No twig snapped, nor leaf rustled. Good afternoon, said Professor Quirrell. The defense professor did not trouble to move his eyes or his arms from where they rested negligently at his side. A figure clad in a black cloak shimmered into existence, his head turning to look left and then right. In the figure's right hand, gripped low, was a wand of wood so gray it was almost silver. I do not know why you wish to meet here of all places, said Severus Snape, his voice cool. Oh, I thought you would prefer privacy, Professor Quirrell said idly, as though the whole matter was of the least importance. The walls of Hogwarts have ears, and you would not wish the headmaster to know of your role in yesterday's affair, would you? The March air seemed to grow deeper, the temperature further fall. I don't know what you're talking about. You know perfectly well what we're talking about. Really, my good professor, you should not meddle in the affairs of idiots unless you are ready to defend yourself upon the instant from all their violence. The defense professor's hands still lay relaxed and open to his side. And yet, none of those idiots seem to remember the sight of you falling, nor do the young ladies recall your presence. Which raises the fascinating question of why you would go to the extraordinary length, I dare say the desperate length, of casting fifty-two memory charms. Professor Quirrell tilted his head. Would you fear so much the opinions of mere students? I think not. Would you dread the matter becoming known to your good friend Lord Malfoy? But those fools, upon the very spot, invented a quite satisfactory excuse for your presence. No, there is only one person who holds so much power over you, and who would be most perturbed to find you executing any plot without his knowledge. Your true and hidden master, Albus Dumbledore. What? hissed the potions master, the anger plain upon his face. But now, it seems, you are moving on your own, and so I find myself most intrigued as to what you could possibly be doing, 
and why. The defense professor regarded the black-clad silhouette of the potions master with the scrutiny a man might give an exceptionally interesting bug, even if it was still, ultimately, just a bug. I am no servant of Dumbledore's. Really? What astonishing news. The defense professor smiled slightly. Do tell me all about it. There was a long pause. From some tree, an owl hooted, the sound huge in the silence. Neither man startled or flinched. You don't want me as your enemy, Quirrell. I don't. How would you know? On the other hand, my friends enjoy many advantages. The man leaning against the gray bark raised his eyebrows. Such as? There's much that I know of this school, things you might not think I knew. There was an expectant pause. How incredibly fascinating. Professor Quirrell was examining his fingernails with a bored look. Do go on. I know you have been investigating the third floor corridor. You know nothing of the sort. The man's back straightened against the wood. Do not bluff against me, Severus Snape. I find it annoying and you are in no position to annoy me. A single glance would tell any competent wizard that the headmaster has laced that corridor with a ridiculous quantity of wards and webs, triggers and trip signs, and more. There are charms laid there of ancient power, magical constructs of which I have heard not even rumors, techniques that must have been disgorged from the hoarded lore of Flamel himself. Even he who must not be named would have had trouble passing those without notice. Professor Quirrell tapped a thoughtful finger on his cheek. And for the actual lock, a coloportis laid on an ordinary doorknob, cast so weakly that it could not have kept out Miss Granger on the day she entered Hogwarts. Never before in my existence have I encountered such a blatant trap. Now the defense professor narrowed his eyes. I know of no one left in the world against whom such fantastic feats of detection would serve any useful purpose. If there is some wizard possessed of ancient lore, of whom I know nothing, against whom this trap is set, you may trade that information for as much silence as you like, my dear professor, and a good serving of my favor left over afterward. You could have sworn that Professor Quirrell was watching Severus Snape with keen interest. Not the faintest trace of a smile crossed the man's lips. There was another long silence in the clearing. I do not know who Dumbledore fears, but I know what bait he has sent out, and somewhat of how it is truly guarded. As to that, said Professor Quirrell, sounding bored again, I stole it months ago and left a fake in its place. But thank you kindly for asking. You're lying said Severus Snape after a pause. Yes, I am. Professor Quirrell leaned back against the gray wood again, his eyes drifting up to the dense net of branches, the falling night scarcely visible between the complex crossings. I simply wish to learn whether you would call me on it, since you are pretending to know so little. The defense professor smiled to himself. The potions master looked like he was about to choke on his own fury. What do you want? Nothing, really, said the defense professor, continuing to gaze at the forest ceiling. I was only curious. 
I suppose I shall just watch and see where your plotting goes. And meanwhile, I will say nothing to the headmaster, so long as you are willing to do me a favor now and then, of course. A dry smile crossed the face. You are dismissed for now, Severus Snape, though I wouldn't mind having another little chat soon if you're willing to speak with me honestly of where your loyalties lie. And I do mean honestly, not the false faces you've shown today. You might find you have more allies than you thought. Take some time to think it over, my friend. Aftermath, Draco Malfoy, and... A rainbow hemisphere, a dome of solid force with little chromacity of its own, which sent back the infringing light in splintered reflections, iridescent in many colors as it fractured the shine of the many splendored chandeliers of the Slytherin common room. Sheltered beneath the rainbow hemisphere, the terrified face of a young witch who had never fought bullies, who had not joined any of Professor Quirrell's armies, who was getting acceptable marks at best in her defense class, who could not have cast a prismatic barrier even to save her own life. Oh, stop it, said Draco Malfoy, making his voice sound bored despite the sweat that had broken out underneath his robes, as he kept his wand pointed at the barrier that was sheltering Millicent Bulstrode. He couldn't remember making the decision. There'd just been two older boys about to hex Millicent, the common room silently staring... And then Draco's hand had just drawn his wand and cast the barrier, leaving his heart to pump itself full of shocked adrenaline while his poor, sad brain frantically racked itself for explanations. The two older boys were straightening from where they'd been looming over Millicent, turning to Draco, looking at him with a mixture of shock and anger. Gregory and Vincent beside him had already drawn their own wands, but weren't pointing them. All three of them together couldn't have won anyway. But the older boys wouldn't hex him. Nobody could possibly be stupid enough to hex the next Lord Malfoy. It wasn't fear of being hexed that was making Draco sweat beneath his robes, as he desperately hoped the beads of water weren't visible on his forehead. Draco was sweating because of the dawning and sickening certainty that even if he got away with this now, if he kept down this path... There would come a time when it would all come crashing down, and then he might not be the next Lord Malfoy anymore. Mr. Malfoy, said the oldest-looking boy, why are you protecting her? So, you've located the Mistress of the Conspiracy, Draco said with a number two sneer. And it's, let me get this straight now, a first-year girl named Millicent Bulstrode. She's just a conduit, you needlewit. So? demanded the older boy. She still helped them. Draco lifted his wand and the prismatic sphere winked out. Still talking in a bored voice, Draco said, Did you know what you were doing, Miss Bulstrode? No. Millicent stammered from where she was still sitting at her desk. Did you know where the Slytherin messages you were passing on were going to? No, said Millicent. Thank you. All of you, please, leave her alone. She's just a pawn. Miss Bulstrode, you may consider the favor you did me in February to have been repaid. 
and Draco turned back to his potions homework, hoping to Merlin and back again that Millicent didn't say anything incredibly stupid like, What favor? Then why? A voice said clearly from across the room, Did those witches go where a note from Millicent told them to go? Sweating even more, Draco lifted his head again to look at where Randolph Lee had spoken. And what did the fake note say, exactly? Was it, I command you to go forth in the name of the Dark Lady Bullstrode? Or, please meet me here, sincerely Millicent? Randolph Lee opened his mouth, hesitated for a fractional second. I thought so. That wasn't a very good test, Mr. Lee. It... it can... A frantic, nerve-wracking moment while he figured out how to say it without using hairy words like false positive. It can get the witches to go there if any of them is just friends with Millicent. As though the matter had been entirely settled, Draco looked down again at his potions homework, ignoring, except for the feeling of sick dread in his stomach, the whispers from around the room. It was only out of the corner of his eye that he caught Gregory staring at him. Draco's eyes rested on his astronomy homework, but he couldn't make his mind focus there. If you were trying not to think about things Harry Potter had said, pretty much the worst possible thing you could do was look at your textbook's pictures of the night sky and try to remember that you weren't supposed to know about how the planets wandered. Astronomy, a noble and prestigious art, a sign of learning and knowledge. Only muggles possessed secret modern artifacts which could do it a million billion times better, using methods that Harry had tried to explain and which Draco still couldn't begin to understand, except that apparently it didn't even take magic to make things do arithmancy. Draco looked at the pictures of constellations and wondered if it was like this in the other houses, if people were always threatening each other in Ravenclaw. Harry Potter had told him once that soldiers on a battlefield didn't really fight for their country. Patriotism might get them to the battlefield in the first place, but once they were there, they fought to protect each other, the friends they trained with and who were right in front of them. And Harry had observed, and Draco had known that it was true, that you couldn't use loyalty to a leader to power a Patronus charm. It wasn't quite the right kind of warm and happy thought. But thinking of protecting someone beside you... That, Harry Potter had said thoughtfully, was probably why the Death Eaters had fallen apart the moment the Dark Lord had departed. They hadn't been warm enough to each other. You could recruit a group that included Bellatrix Black and Amicus Caro alongside Lord Malfoy and Mr. McNair and keep them in line with the Cruciatus Curse. But the instant the master of the Dark Mark was gone, you didn't have an army anymore. You had a circle of acquaintances. That was why Father had failed. It hadn't even really been his fault. There'd been nothing Father could have done after inheriting Death Eaters who weren't really friends with each other. And even though it was Slytherin House he was supposed to defend, Slytherin House which he and Harry had formed a pact to save, sometimes Draco couldn't help but think that it was just less wearisome when he was leading army practices, when he was working with students from the other three houses that weren't Slytherin. Once you saw and named the problems, you couldn't stop seeing them. It just got more annoying every day.
Mr. Malfoy, said the voice of Gregory Goyle, where he was lying on the floor beside Draco's desk in the small but private bedroom. Gregory was doing his transfiguration homework, on which he often needed help. Any distraction was welcome at this point. Yes? You weren't really plotting against Granger at all, were you? The sensation spreading through Draco's stomach felt just like Gregory's voice sounded, sickened and afraid. You actually were helping Granger, that day you picked her up off the floor? And before that, that time you kept her from falling off the roof? You helped a mudblood- Yeah, right, said Draco sarcastically, without the slightest hesitation or delay, looking back down at his astronomy homework like he wasn't the least bit nervous. It was all happening the way Draco had feared it would. But at least that meant he'd played this conversation in his head over and over, coming up with the right opening gambit. Come on, Gregory. You've dueled General Granger. You know how strong her spells are. Like a real muggle spawn is going to be more powerful than you. More powerful than Theodore. More powerful than every single pureblood in our whole school year, except me? Don't you actually believe in anything Father says? She's adopted. Her parents died in the war, and someone stuck her with a couple of muggles to hide her. No way is General Granger a real mudblood. A slow pulse of silence through Draco's bedroom. Draco wanted to know, needed to know what look was on Gregory's face but he couldn't look up from his desk. Not yet. Not until Gregory spoke first. Is that what Harry Potter told you? When Draco looked up from his homework, he saw that tears were leaking out of Gregory's eyes. Apparently, that hadn't worked. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now, Mr. Malfoy. Your father isn't... When he finds out... He's not going to like it, Mr. Malfoy! It's not your job to decide what father will like, Goyle. Draco could hear the words in his head. They sounded in father's voice, with the same sternness. It was the sort of thing father had told him to say if Vincent or Gregory ever questioned him. And if that didn't work, he was to hex them. They were not equal friends, father had said, and he wasn't ever to forget it. Draco was in charge. They were his servants. And if Draco couldn't keep it that way, then he wasn't fit to inherit House Malfoy. It's all right, Gregory, Draco said as gently as he could. All you've got to do is worry about protecting me. Nobody's going to blame you for following my orders. Not my father, not yours. Putting all the warmth he could into his voice, like trying to cast a Patronus charm. And anyway, the next war isn't going to be the same as the last one. House Malfoy was around long before the Dark Lord, and not every Lord Malfoy does the same thing. Father knows that. Does he? Does he really? Draco nodded. Professor Quirrell knows it too. That's what the armies are about. The defense professor's right. When the next war comes, Father won't be able to unite the whole country. They'll remember the last war. But anyone who's fought in Professor Quirrell's armies will remember who the strongest generals were. They'll know who's worthy to lead them. They'll proclaim Harry Potter their lord, and I'll be his right hand. 
and House Malfoy will come out on top, like always. People might even turn to me if Potter isn't there, so long as they think I'm trustworthy. That's what I'm setting up now. Father will understand. Gregory reached up and wiped his eyes, looking down again at his transfiguration homework. Okay. If you say so, Mr. Malfoy. Draco nodded again, ignoring the hollow feeling inside himself at the lies he'd just told his friend, and turned back to the stars. Aftermath Hermione Granger and Being invisible should have been more interesting than this. The corridors of Hogwarts should have been outlined in strange colors or something. But actually, Hermione thought, being under Harry's invisibility cloak was exactly like not being under an invisibility cloak. Except for the cloak part. When you pulled the veil of soft black cloth down from the hood and over your face, you couldn't even see it stretching in front of you, and afterward it didn't seem to impede your breathing. And the world looked just the same, except that when you walked past things of metal, you didn't see any small reflections of yourself. Portraits never looked at you, only did whatever strange things they did when they were alone. Hermione hadn't tried walking past a mirror yet. She wasn't sure she wanted to. Most of all, there was no you anymore as you walked around. No hands, no feet, just a changing point of view. It was an unnerving feeling, not so much of being invisible as of not existing. Harry hadn't questioned her at all. She'd just got out the word invisibility, and then Harry was drawing his invisibility cloak from his pouch. She hadn't even been given a chance to explain about her extremely secret meeting with Daphne and Millicent Bulstrode, or that she thought it would help protect the other girls. Harry had just handed over what was probably a deathly hallow. If you were fair, and she did try to be fair, she had to admit that sometimes Harry could be a very true, true friend. The secret meeting itself had been a great big failure. Millicent had claimed to be a seer. Hermione had carefully explained to Millicent and Daphne at considerable length that this could not possibly be true. She and Harry had looked up divination early on in their research. Harry had insisted that they read everything they could find about prophecies that wasn't in the restricted section. As Harry had observed, it would save a lot of effort if they could just get a seer to prophesy everything they would figure out 35 years later. Or to put it in Harry terms, any means of obtaining information transmitted from the distant future was potentially an instant global victory condition. But, as Hermione had explained to Millicent, prophesying wasn't controllable. There was no way to ask for a prophecy about anything in particular. Instead, the books had said, there was a sort of pressure that built up in time, when some huge event was trying to happen, or stop itself from happening, and seers were like weak points that let out the pressure when the right listener was nearby. So prophecies were only about big, important things, because only that generated enough pressure. And you almost never got more than one seer saying the same thing, because afterward the pressure was gone. And as Hermione had further explained to Millicent, the seers themselves didn't remember their prophecies, because the message wasn't for them. And the messages would come out in riddles, and only someone who heard the prophecy in the seer's original voice would hear all the meaning that was in the riddle. 
There was no possible way that Millicent could just give out a prophecy any time she wanted about school bullies and then remember it. And if she had, it would have come out as the skeleton is the key and not Susan Bones has to be there. Millicent had been looking rather frightened at this point, so Hermione had relaxed her fists from where they'd been jammed on her hips, calmed herself down, and stated carefully that she was glad Millicent had helped them. But they had sometimes walked into traps following what Millicent had said, and so Hermione really did want to know where the messages had actually come from. And Millicent had said in a small voice, But she told me that she was a seer. Hermione had told Daphne not to press it, after Millicent had refused to give up her source. It wasn't just that Hermione had felt awful about the scared look on Millicent's face. It was that Hermione had a strong feeling that if they did find the person who'd been telling Millicent things, why, they would turn out just to be finding envelopes under their pillow in the morning. She was getting that same despairing feeling she'd gotten in the battle before Christmas looking at Zabini's charts with all the colored lines and boxes, and... And she had only just now realized what it meant that Zabini had been the one showing her that chart. Even for a Ravenclaw, she felt, there was such a thing as having your life get overly complicated. Hermione began ascending a short spiral of yellow marble steps protruding from a central spine a poorly kept secret staircase that was actually one of the fastest ways up from the Slytherin dungeons to the Ravenclaw Tower, but which only witches could traverse. Why girls in particular needed a quick way to move from Ravenclaw to Slytherin and back was something Hermione found a bit puzzling. At the top of the staircase, now that she was away from Slytherin places and back into the main parts of Hogwarts, Hermione stopped and took off Harry's invisibility cloak. After her pouch had swallowed the cloak, Hermione turned right and started to walk down a short passageway, now automatically keeping an eye out in all directions without really thinking about it, and her constantly scanning eyes glanced into a shadowy alcove. Fleeting Disorientation And then a rush of shock and fear hit her like a stunning hex over her whole body. She found that without any thought or any conscious decision, her wand had leaped into her hand and was already pointing at... A black cloak, so wide and billowing that it was impossible to determine whether the figure beneath was male or female. And atop the cloak, a broad-brimmed black hat, and a black mist seemed to gather beneath it and obscure the face of whoever, or whatever, might lie beneath. Hello again, Hermione whispered a sibilant voice from beneath the black hat, from behind the black mist. Hermione's heart was already pounding hugely inside her chest. Her witch's robes felt already sweat-dampened against her skin. There was a taste of fear already in her mouth. She didn't know why she was so suddenly filled up with adrenaline, but her hand gripped harder on her wand. Who are you? Hermione demanded. The hat tilted slightly. The whispery voice, when it came forth from the black mist, sounded dry as dust. The last ally, the one who finally answers when no other will answer you. I am, perhaps, the only true friend you have in all Hogwarts, Hermione. For you have now seen how the others stayed silent when you were in need. What's your name? 
The black cloak rotated slightly, back and forth. It didn't look like shoulder shrugging, but it conveyed a shrug. That is the riddle, young Ravenclaw. Until you solve it, you may call me whatever you wish. She could feel her palm already sweaty and was thankful for the spiral grooves on her wand that helped her hand keep a steady grip on the wood. Well, Mr. Incredibly Suspicious Person, what do you want with me? That is the wrong question. You should ask, rather, what I can offer you. No, I don't think I should be asking that, actually. A high-pitched chuckle from behind the black mist. Not power, not wealth. You care little for such things, do you, young Ravenclaw? Knowledge, that is what I possess. I know what is unfolding within this school. All the hidden plants and players. The answers of the riddle. I know the true reason for the coldness you see in Harry Potter's eyes. I know the true nature of Professor Quirrell's mysterious illness. I know who Dumbledore truly fears. Good for you. But do you know how many licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? The black mist seemed to darken slightly. The voice sounded lower when it spoke, disappointed. So you are not even curious, young Ravenclaw, about the truths behind the lies? 187. I tried it once, and that's how many it came out to. Her hand was almost slipping on the wand, and there was a sense of fatigue in her fingers, like she'd been holding the wand for hours instead of minutes. Professor Snape is a hidden Death Eater. Hermione almost dropped her wand. Ah, I thought that might interest you. So, Hermione, is there anything else you would like to know about your enemies? Or those you call friends? She stared up at the black mist that topped the towering black cloak, frantically trying to order her thoughts. Professor Snape was a Death Eater? Who would tell her something like that? Why? What was going on? That's... that's extremely serious business, if that's really true. Why are you telling something like that to me and not to Headmaster Dumbledore? Dumbledore did nothing to stop Snape. You sighed, Hermione. The rot at Hogwarts begins at the top. Everything that is wrong with this school... It all begins with the mad headmaster. You alone dare to call him out for it, and therefore I speak to you. And have you also spoken to Harry Potter then? Hermione said, keeping her voice as even as she could. If this was his helpful ghost. The black mist darkened and lightened like a shake of the head. I am frightened of Harry Potter. Of the coldness in his eyes. Of the darkness that grows behind them. Harry Potter is a killer. And anyone who is an obstacle to him will die. Even you, Hermione Granger. If you dare truly oppose him, the darkness behind his eyes will reach out and destroy you. This I know. Then you don't know half of what you pretend to know. I'm scared of Harry, too, but not because of what he might ever do to me. I'm scared of what he might do to protect me. Wrong. Harry Potter will turn.
turn against you in time, Hermione. When the darkness takes him fully, he will not shed a tear. He will not even notice. On the day his footsteps finally crush you underneath. Double wrong. She said back in a rising voice, even though there were chills going down her spine. One of Harry's phrases came to her. Just what do you think you know, and how do you think you know it anyway? Time. The voice seemed to catch itself. Time enough for that later. For now, for today, indeed, Harry Potter is not your enemy. And yet, you are in gravest danger. I can believe that. She desperately wanted to shift her wand to her other hand. She felt like she needed to grab her right arm just to keep it up. Her head ached like she'd been staring at the black mist for days. She didn't know why she'd gotten tired so quickly. Lucius Malfoy has taken notice of you, Hermione. The whisper had risen, departed from its tonelessness, taken on a note of audible concern. You have humiliated Slytherin House. You have defeated his son in battle. Even before then, you were an embarrassment to all who stand with the Death Eaters. For you are a Muggleborn, and yet you possess a power of wizardry greater than any pure blood. And now you are becoming known, the eyes of the world on you. Lucius Malfoy seeks to crush you, Hermione, to hurt you, and perhaps even kill you. And he has the means to do it. There was a pause. Is that all? If she was ex-Colonel Zabini or Harry Potter, she probably would be asking clever questions to gather more information. But her mind felt slow and fatigued. She really needed to get out of here and go lay down for a while. You don't believe me, the whisper said, softer and sadder now. Why not, Hermione? I am trying to help you. Hermione took a step backward, away from the shadowy alcove. Why not, Hermione? Demanded the voice, rising to a hiss. You owe me that much. Tell me, and then... The voice caught, came back quieter. And then you can go, I suppose. Only tell me. Why? Maybe she shouldn't have answered. Maybe she should have just turned and fled. Or better yet, cast a prismatic wall first and then screamed at the top of her lungs as she ran. But it was the note of real pain in the voice that caught her. And so she answered. Because you look incredibly dark and scary and suspicious. Hermione said, keeping her voice polite as her wand stayed level on the towering black cloak and faceless black mist. That's all, whispered the voice incredulously. Sadness seemed to infuse it. I hoped for better from you, Hermione. Surely such a Ravenclaw as you, the most intelligent Ravenclaw to grace Hogwarts in a generation knows that appearances can be misleading. Oh, I know it. She took another step back, her tired fingers tightening on the wand. But the thing that people forget sometimes is that even though appearances can be misleading, they're usually not. There was a pause. You are the clever one, 
said the voice, and the black mist evaporated away, no longer obscuring. She saw the face beneath, and recognition sent a jolt of terrified adrenaline bursting through her. Fleeting Disorientation And then a rush of shock and fear hit her like a stunning hex over her whole body. She found that without any thought or any conscious decision, her wand had leaped into her hand and was already pointing at... A shining lady, her long white dress billowing about her as though in invisible winds. Neither her hands nor her feet were visible, her face hidden beneath a white veil. And she was glowing all over, not like a ghost, not transparent, just surrounded by soft white light. Hermione stared open-mouthed at the gentle sight, wondering why her heart was already hammering and why she felt so scared. Hello again, Hermione. The kindly whisper emanated from the white globe behind the veil. I've been sent to help you, so please don't be afraid. I'm your servant in all things, for you, my lady, are the bearer of a most marvelous destiny. End Chapter 77 Thank you to the following people. Kindly Whisper, Anonymous. Hermione Granger, Anonymous. Severus Snape by Brian Jones. Gregory Goyle, Anthony Westbrook. Randolph Lee by Brian Zeman. Millicent Bullstrode by Gigi Arndt. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit LessWrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for Chapter 78, Taboo Tradeoffs, Prelude, Cheating. <laughs>